0: My name is David Adess, and I'm a poet in Sydney, and the host of a monthly poetry reading series called Poets Corner, which I host together with WestWords in Parramatta in Sydney's West. WestWords is Western Sydney's literature development organisation. Poets Corner is part of WestWords public programming that celebrates the richness, diversity, and insight that literature offers. Especially in these times, we thank the ongoing support of Create New South Wales, the Cultural Fund of Copyright Australia, City of Parramatta Council, Blacktown City Council, and Campbelltown City Council, as well as the many project partners that have enabled us to continue to provide opportunities to writers and audiences. We hope that this new world will see us sharing and a closeness of spirit. So each month, I invite a poet to read poems and talk about them on a theme of the poet's choice. Our poet today, our guest poet today, is Alex Govron, whom I will introduce in a moment. And he will read and talk on the theme of histories, public and personal. But before I start, I will always begin with an acknowledgement of country. I'm recording this from my home in Beecroft in Sydney, and Alex is recording from his home in Melbourne, Victoria. I would like to pay my respects to and acknowledge the Elders, past, present and emerging, of the Wellameda people, the traditional custodians of the land in Beecroft, and also of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land around Melbourne, and to acknowledge that they are the sovereign owners of their land, which has never been ceded or given up. Now, I've got a bit of a bio note about Alex in the introduction. Alex Skowron was born in Poland, lived briefly in Israel, and emigrated to Australia aged nearly 10. His family settled in Sydney, where he grew up and completed his studies. From the early 1970s, he worked as an editor for book publishers in Sydney and later in Melbourne. His poetry has appeared widely in Australia and overseas, and he has received a number of major awards for his work. The most recent of his six poetry collections, Towards the Equator, New and Selected Poems, was shortlisted in the Prime Minister's Literary Awards. The Attic, a selection of his poetry translated into French, was published in 2013 and a bilingual volume of Chinese translations, Water Music, in 2017. Alex's poetry has also been translated into Dutch, Macedonian, Polish and Spanish. It's rather an eclectic collection of languages. Um, His collection of short stories, The Man Who Took to His Bed and his novella, The Poet, have been published in Czech translations. The numerous public readings he has given have included appearances in China, Serbia, India, Ireland, Macedonia, Portugal and a Norfolk island. His next collection of poems, Letters from the Periphery, is forthcoming in 2021. Hi, Alex, and welcome to Poets' Corner.
1: Hello, David, and thank you very much for... um for um, having me appear on this series. It's a terrific, it's a
0: terrific concept. Thank you. I'm I'm very sorry that we couldn't have you up here in person as we originally planned, but uh, we'll do do this instead. Now you've chosen as your theme, history is public and personal. I've been very intrigued by the themes that poets have chosen for this reading series because uh, any number of themes appear in every poet's oeuvre, and I'm just wondering what it is about this theme that made it stand out and that made you want to read and talk about it today?
1: Well, um, I've always been very interested in history, for one thing, Um, and I guess my own history has been um, a catalyst for that. As you mentioned in my bio, um, my first years of my life were spent in, in two different countries, in two different cultures and continents, um in two different languages and then i came to australia and uh, i had to learn a third language and absorb another culture quite different from the previous two um, so i guess that was a kind of uh, an introduction to a cosmopolitan outlook in in a sense um, because it made me come to terms with uh, with different different ways that the world works in different languages um, with different expectations in, in, in different nations. Um, going to school on three continents was, was a part of that experience. And I guess I became very interested in history for various reasons. Um, partly because of that background, partly because um, of my parents' histories. Um, they went through the Holocaust. Um, and um, like many people of their generation, Jewish people, um and i guess my growing up wasn't overshadowed by that but there was uh when i became old enough there was an awareness of of the different layers uh, of the past that were um, present in um in what came to to be my own makeup if i can put it that way and then um a lot of reading i was always a big reader so history was uh um always an interest of mine to, uh, to learn and study. Um, the personal side, well, you can see that it's all interwoven. Um, a lot of my poetry um, touches on both the public side, if you like, the, his, the historical dimension, um, and explores some of my interests in history. And other, other poems of mine are more autobiographical, they um they investigate aspects of my own background um, and uh, sometimes obliquely um, and sometimes more directly so so that's i guess that's a kind of by way of an introduction if if, in a nutshell
0: yeah i didn't ask you actually when you sent me the poems whether they were um, all from previous books or whether some of them are from uh, letters from the periphery which is coming out next year is is, is there a mixed mix of sources for the poems the poems i'll be reading
1: um are from two sources well one, one source is from the selected poems hmm. which means that they come from a number of my earlier books um and the other source is the new collection that's coming out next year okay so yeah right. so, so
0: it's a
1: good mix i
0: think yeah and, and the first poem you've chosen to read is not one of your own poems but a translation that you've done uh, of a poem by Jorge Luis Borges, The Dream. Okay
1: well um, just by way of introduction I, I, I discovered a few years ago um, a wonderful collection of uh, the sonnets of Borges and this is it. It's, um, it's with translations by a number of poets And I think it is the complete edition of his dreams. And I was reading through it and I thought, this is really interesting and exciting work. And I'd love to have a go at having, you know, of translating one or two of them myself. So I did, I translated three of them. And the one I'm reading today, the dream is from, actually is from my next collection. Mm -hmm. So, um, del sueño. If, as they say, a dream is like a truce, no more than just a respite for the mind, why, if you wake abruptly, do you find you feel some thief has cut your fortune loose? Why should the early morning be so sad? It strips us of a gift that's inconceivable, so intimate. It is only retrievable in trances that the vigil hours have clad with dreams whose golden glitter may betray fragments from the treasure store of darkness, from a realm that is timeless and nameless, distorted in the looking glass of day. Where will you be this evening when you glide over the dream wall to the other side?
0: So I was very curious about why you chose to open with this poem and how it introduces your theme of history. Good question. Um, I
1: I like the idea of um, the intersection of dreams and reality on the one hand. This poem to me um, encapsulates some of the mystery uh, of of what a dream is. Um, The escape into other selves, the sense of sense of loss Uh, Borges um, elucidates that that idea that you've lost something something's been taken away from you when you when you awaken uh, what's the what's the true reality and to what extent is a dream something authentic that is as valid as our everyday mundane reality Um, so it's it's a question it's a poem about borderlines
0: and borderlines have always interested me yeah um, so, sort of on the same subject, do you think that there is a dreamlike quality in the malleability of history, both public and personal?
1: A dreamlike quality in the malleability of history.
0: yeah
1: So history is malleable then.
0: Oh, well, I would think that it's not something that's fixed in place. No. It changes all the time.
1: It does until it changes until. Until it happens, and then it still changes because historians change it, um, stories alter it, interpretations yes. sometimes subvert it yes uh, so, so yes, uh, th- that sort of malleability um, and are you making a connection here with poetry
0: well i I, I am I think, uh, and I think you are too um so I mean. Take it one step further. Borges was regarded as perhaps one of the precursors or fathers of magical realism Definitely. So I'm just wondering whether or not That magical realism seeps into your poems as well.
1: It does it does. Um, I've always been very um, Excited actually by magic realism, but not always but since I discovered it roughly my probably around my 20s or early 30s um, it began with Kafka and then Borges, Calvino, Marquez.
0: Eggel and Poe as well.
1: Yes. Um, Although I I didn't read as much Poe. I I have read some Poe since then. Um, But yes, so it it did actually have an influence on the way I write and the way I think. Um, Many of my poems do um, move off on tangents that are quite fanciful, um, established premises that could be regarded as magic realist or she is fantasy or invention, but mm. sometimes the atmosphere that I like to work into a poem does uh, Probably approximates what one might call magic realism, mm. but then poetry does that anyway yeah, uh, Even so-called realistic poems have to have that element of, of magic realism to uh, to make the poem uh, Perhaps sing or bite
0: mm. All right, so the next poem is on the beach Okay, On the Beach um, begins with uh, an epigraph
1: from the great Polish uh, poet Czesław Miłosz. And it reads, Our dreams have their anchor in the burning ember, deep by the chambers of the sea. It comes from his poem, A Family. On the Beach. The boats are rearranged along the shore. smoke trickles absently from hazy roofs shadowed by clouds and the declining day. No moon, just rustle of insistent waves that rummage back and forth among the gray sand and the seaweed rendering the slope up onto the embankment. Two shapes there, unframed against the sky, stand motionless until one lifts an arm to the other's waist and they walk off into the northern gloom. The masts creak in the unassuming breeze, shuffle and nudge as if in gentle contest for some advantage ships alone can know. And planks that glisten in the moonless sheen of evening and the severed wind measure out the jetty's slanting deck Await what visitors the dawn will bring, or not. And as we watch, the lonely duo have appeared again, reclining inexplicably beside the blade of a primordial rock whose outline darkens as the sky moves on. And so do they. Shortly they drift along and vanish past the headland to the south, and we are left to ask each other's eyes, If we should follow in their wake or stay for the duration of the night, the week, the world.
0: Yeah, so I was intrigued by this. For all the imagery and the detail in this poem, it seems to me to be unmoored in the sense that the location could be on any coast, anywhere where ships are moored. The observed couple in the poem drift along and vanish, and the same perhaps could be said for the way so much public and personal history unfolds, however tumultuous at the moment of unfolding is this Is this what the poem is alluding to, or is it more an observation of one moment in the endless composition of moments that together make some kind of history
1: yeah, I think it's it's both of those things, I suppose um, there is that sense of um, timelessness or a suspension of time. And you're right about there's a static quality where not, not a lot happens, but um, it's, um, it's a dream in a sense as well, perhaps. There's that dream quality. Um, and also I, I think maybe um, I see it as a kind of a slightly mobile painting, a tableau mm-hmm. that if you imagine um, a painting of this scene except that it's not static uh, there's movement in it um none, they don't the, the the two the two characters never F actually leave the frame of the painting the boats bob up and down they don't go anywhere uh, the the clouds the weather more or less you know remains the same it, it orbits itself in a way The whole. The whole tableau perhaps orbits itself so there's a sense of suspension of time and yet i think i see this cutting into not just moments but into something broader beyond the moments um, perhaps it's trying to say something um wider about about time and mm-hmm. about about history as you as you mentioned mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes
0: sense but, uh, that's, uh, it's that's interesting to hear because however, I, I read the poem and i'm i'm sort of trying to marry the poem to the theme and, and uh, I come up with my ideas, which could be anywhere close to the truth or far from the truth or irrelevant. But, but it's always interesting to hear the take of the person who wrote the poem about, about what the poem is all about.
1: Well, you, you've married it well to the theme. Um, although I'll probably confess that um, when I chose my poems, I was choosing with a broad brush. Mm. But rather than thinking it, what does this poem exactly say about the theme? Rather, how does it fit into the broader notion um, yeah. of history, public and personal? Yeah. And, and I suppose for both of us, um, it, it seems to fit into that notion.
0: All right. So the next poem, um, and one of the things that I have enjoyed about reading these poems is, is that they are very different from one another in, in, in many ways and that they are approaching, approaching uh the idea of history from so many different perspectives Uh, and the next poem is quite different again four nights
1: yes this is more explicitly about history but again um i i don't i locate it up to a point but then i take back the location because its theme is really universal four nights somewhere a dog barks the shock of splintered glass a muffled scream then the Adriatic silence. A child, somewhere, wading a rectangle of corn in the mosaic dark. Searchlights ripple methodically the frown of a pond. Two trains cross each other, somewhere. A razor line walks the ceiling, crockery trembles tactfully. A horse-drawn wagon, two villages away, clumsy on the road to Kostolats. Somewhere, nothing changes, except two clouds have parted to grant the craning moon a glimpse into a first-floor window where a woman leans out, scans the corner again, resigned to the costumed mob that any minute must appear.
0: So taking out the locations, you've got four nights, you've got four somewheres. It is it's the broad brush of history because it could be any night anywhere, couldn't it?
1: It could, and in fact, I was thinking in parallel about different kinds of settings, locations. You know, you can think of you can think of the Balkans, um, you can think of the Holocaust, you can think of um, the Ku Klux Klan. You know, there, there's many types of menace that can be represented by those closing lines, um, but in, in fact, the poem was, was triggered by my um, trip to, um, to Serbia and, and hence the two references, Adriatic and Kostolas. Um I, I was in Belgrade for, in 2009 for, uh, for a literary meeting and um, I wrote that poem. When I wrote that poem afterwards, I still had some of the images and some of the experiences Circling in my mind, Kostos is a is a town or a small city uh, southeast of Belgrade. We went there in the bus as a day trip um, the, the, you know, several of us writers. And um, after that, we went to an ex- incredibly interesting Roman garrison from the first to third century called Viminacium, but that's a different story. But anyway, so Kostolats was a place where we did a, did a, some readings. We had a look around we had a, a lovely lunch at at, uh, at one of the orthodox churches there we were made to feel um, very much at home and um fated like celebrities and then we went back to belgrade um so anyway that was just a little bit of uh, background but that's where the adriatic and the costalats come from and that's and that's what essentially nudged me into writing this poem just some images Floating around remembering Costalas and remembering that trip. And somehow um, that that poem came.
0: Well, you, you spoke earlier about things being interwoven, and and the idea I get from the poem is that history is very busy making itself all the time everywhere. So there's there's multiple histories going on. And we tend to focus on one, but at the same time there's another and another and another so what you've done here is you've, you you've connected four disparate histories into the one poem um very briefly just little vignettes about about them um it's a little palimpsest if you like of history but you see i'm i'm also
1: interested in the sense in the idea of parallel time parallel tracks so or the the, the in, you know interpenetration of um of time dimensions if you like um, I'm, I'm also very very um i have been very absorbed in the past in science fiction literature there was a time in the 70s late 60s early 70s that i was reading almost nothing but science fiction so um that has um, exerted quite a, an in, uh, influence on my on my thinking over the years and my writing and it's also plugged into the um uh, uh, the um magic realism aspect as well because there's a there's a kind of an interesting relationship between science fiction and magic
0: realism. Well, you've almost taken the words out of my mouth because uh, in relation to a poem later that you're going to read, I've, I was going to ask you a question about multiple tracks. So we'll just, we'll just leave, we'll just leave <laughs> that one for now. I which one you mean. <laughs> we'll see when we get there. Um, next day, of the weather.
1: Yes, this is another one of those poems where uh, we are in a place and a time that hasn't been specified. It's indeterminate, but I think that there's a there's a familiarity to it. To me, to me, it's familiar. I don't know where it, where it is, but I can I can feel that um, that location and that moment um, when I even when I read that poem. So, next day the weather. The next day the weather changes. Clouds the shade of ash and honey stretch the strings of the sky, are echoed in purple chords of thunder. A gusty rain lashes at the mushroom chimneys, the satellite dishes. Our room, high above the avenue of the commemorations, trembles after each sizzled flash traces its nervous network on the ceiling of our thoughts. You laugh, you weep, I pace the corral of an open page that refuses to turn. The words swirl their tumbleweed before my eyes. Who can tell and why? Somewhere in this city, a poet splices the penultimate line into the masterpiece he will never write. A magician behind a Steinway is shaking the universe from his sleeve. Down in the street, a garbled figure Stumbles into a rain-hatched archway, a stray hound examines the air, and you, outstaring the window, waiting for doubt and the downpour to settle in.
0: Who can tell and why? See that question. Uh, I fixated on that question a little bit in the poem. It heralds, it heralds doubt and uncertainty. You refer in the last line to the doubt. I get the sense in not just this poem, but in many of these poems that something is always eluding us, Um, that we get glimpses of things and spend our time trying to make sense of them, to pin them down, even as they retain a kind of vague nebulous quality. Um, History, even our own personal lived history can also be elusive like that, Um, changeable. Resist, resisting b- being fixed in place is this is this poem alluding to that sort of sense of malleability again?
1: Definitely, because uh, this is a poem where the personal and the political, the historical, um, are in, in counterpoint in a sense. Um, excuse me, I have to have a bit of a sip water. Um, so there are several things happening in this poem. Um, we seem to be in some kind of a situation of implied menace or danger. Um, or there at least there's an atmosphere of unease. Um, and, and there's also some unease about the relationship between the protagonists, whoever they are. See, so what, what I often do in my poetry is I parachute into a situation and look around and basically develop uh, write a poem into that situation it's a little bit like uh, writing a short story um beginning beginning um sort of nowhere and ending nowhere um, but coming right into the middle of it there's no beginning and end but there is there is a slice a slice of time or a slice of life a slice of history if you like um, and i've come in and i'm observing this and i'm writing it out um, so i'm actually writing writing a fiction here mm. because um, this is not this is not describing a particular specific scenario at all it's just something that is essentially invention but the invention comes out of an impulse um, to to document um, a specific kind of moment um, in a city at a time with, with several people, perhaps two people, a couple in a room, waiting for something that might happen, um, perhaps interrogating their relationship, but also um, there's an anxiety, I think, that, that is being expressed um, throughout this poem. Um, as you said, um, who knows, who can tell?
0: yeah well and
1: we can't really tell we just need to we just need to um, uh, accept accept the situation and and try to and try to find ourselves within it and see see what happens as a, and, as a poem
0: and and the beauty is that the reader brings to it their own experience so I inferred marital discord from that that unease now it might not have been marital discord at all but but I brought my my sort of experience into it and that's that's what i inferred in there but it doesn't really matter does it I mean, it's, everyone can read it the way they want exactly i like that idea that people will, will bring their
1: own experience and their own reading into a poem that's very important um and yes there could be marital discord or or there could be something else happening um there, there's a downpour the downpour could itself be a metaphor but it yeah. could also be the weather which is the title Mm. suggest which the title is suggesting, but it could be um an emblem for something much broader within that society or within the the um city's um history or fate. Mm.
0: A lot of these poems are um city poems aren't they? Yes. Um but the rural does appear the the external world does appear in some of them as
1: well. I have very very uh, precious memories of uh, Um, Well, I've always loved the countryside, but uh, especially in my early years, um, the countryside of Poland, I I, I explored that in some of my poems, tried tried to reimagine and um, represent it as faithfully as I could, because there there were very dear experiences, large open fields of poppy or wheat, you know, there's a railway in the distance, some old tracks, um, a sense of calm and and rural peace, but, but it's not the Australian bush. It's a different kind of countryside. It's a European countryside. I've written about Australian countryside too, but not, not, not as
0: much. Mm. Um, so the next poem is cryptic crosswords. Right,
1: okay. Same again he called from his corner by the window to the sad brunette behind the bar. She confirmed, so he rejoined the cryptic, he'd begun on the train from Montreal, the world outside, a blank of all devouring white. By Schenectady, he'd given up, decided to leave the puzzle half cracked till he got to Penn. New York was bleak, an icy January wind scoured the taxi ranks as he dragged his suitcase toward the next yellow blob steaming at the curb, headlights drizzling. The cabbie, shadowy and sullen, grumbled at the three dollar gratuity he pressed into his glove at journey's end, the Roosevelt on Madison and East 45th. Adding a five, he trusted his bag to a bouncy porter prowling the sidewalk. Sharp rain slanted straight into his cheeks He felt a spasm of unease, especially once he spotted his wife in the lobby, pointing irritably into her Tissot, spoiling for argument. He performed an eye-rolling shrug up into the ostentatiously faceted ceiling. She stood up to welcome him. They embraced like hypocrites. Surely the divorce documents had come through. He could hardly wait to settle everything. Get back to his favorite bar on 51st, his cryptics downing alternate espressos and edredors, rare specialty of the house. They'd agreed to meet in the morning for a ride to the attorney's. But now, casing his suite, he recalled the white train, brightened, stripped to his t shirt in the oppressive central heat, unfolded the damp times. That pesky 49 across. Yeah.
0: Um, there's some marital discord. Um, yes. so this poem, this poem has a kind of internal loop in, in that it loops back to the beginning at, by the end. And, but it recounts the day fairly quotidian, but a day in which the narrator has made his own personal history. Um, but it also seems to me to be a poem that's talking about a kind of momentum, a kind of inexorable forward motion. Um, and that is what history does. It keeps moving and keeps moving. Is that in a sense what your connection to history in this poem is apart from personal history? That. But
1: I think that's a very interesting take on it, on what the poem that um, it begins talking about the train journey from montreal and, and then another another drive to the uh, from the airport to yeah. the hotel and thinking about um going further on to his favorite bar so there is that motion there's there is that circling um and incidentally um, this is a poem which is made up of it's a blending of of, of imagery which is true to, to itself and, and also um, made up aspects of the, of the scenario that are that made up. In fact, the whole scenario is in a sense a, one of those parachutings into, uh, into a story, but I have incorporated through it the real experiences of mine uh, traveling from Montreal and into New York and I actually stayed at the Roosevelt.
0: Yeah. Um, So, Alex, the next poem is Through the Window Glass.
1: Yes, with apologies to Lewis Carroll. Those wonderland people wanted her back. Messages kept arriving. But Alice had discovered an alternative track. In fact, she was thriving. On the tram each morning the town unfurled from her window seat where she read and reflected upon the world her elbows discreet, watching the crowds rush around, intent on looking and learning. For she was staggered by this novel firmament, stung by a new yearning. How could she scramble down that hold again, let alone even find it, now that she drunk of this wondrous domain, suddenly unblinded and burning to investigate its pale population, their every hope and habit? Only one thing gave her cause for speculation. Everyone was a rabbit.
0: Well, there's a whole genre of literature now uh, exploring the, uh, the lives of fictional characters. Jasper Ford is one that comes to mind. Um, I-, I love this. Um, what if fictional characters have their own histories? I'm sure they do. Yeah. We can make them up as we go along. Yeah. You know, anything is possible. Um, any kind of rabbit holes to, to go down.
1: Well, exactly. Uh, I think there, there's an infinite number of rabbit holes and an infinite number of Alice's
0: and an infinite number of rabbits that are not rabbits. What, well, made, think, you, what, made, you, what made you write this one, Alex? Where did this one come from? Well, that's a good question. Um, where did it come from?
1: I can't remember exactly what, what the actual trigger was. Um, I, think, I think I just sort of... Um, started writing something fanciful about um you know a, an alternative kind of ending or an alternative um, scenario for and, and it sort of came out um sometimes i start writing a poem and i'm not even sure exactly where it's going other mm-hmm. times i have a i have something in mind but but usually it changes as, as i write mm-hmm. so um i can't honestly say that there was a single um moment that that made me say, yes, I'm going to write a different version of of Alice coming out of the rabbit hole.
0: Mm. (laughs) All right. Um, The next one is Silhouette. She was our brand
1: new neighbour. Saucy, very single, maybe a decade older than we two brothers next door, a pair of precocious 16-year-olds. I found myself indulging in steamy fantasies. This was Vancouver, 1972, the summer unusually warm. I put it to Marcel, my twin, that I would do just about anything to bed her. He scoffed at my bravado. In your dreams, he said. And anyway, she doesn't turn me on. He gave a yawn, turned back to his Moliere. My hubris dented, I devised a plan. Never one for the direct approach, I improvised an outfit, a few props, and two days later rang her bell, explained I was collecting for the blind appeal and could she maybe spare a donation. From there, I'd figured my charm would ensure the rest. She made me wait, went to the bedroom to locate her bag. I ogled her silhouette as she slipped inside, and then I froze. Beyond her door, half-naked on her mattress, Marcel.
0: Now, now, this is where I ask you, you, you don't have a twin brother called Marcel, do you?
1: I don't have a twin brother.
0: <laughs> never been
1: to Vancouver.
0: <laughs> I've been to 1972. I'm sure. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's one of those little um, fictions um, that I wanted to have a bit of fun with.
0: Yeah, yeah well, it's fun. But I, I suppose, you know, it does capture the fact that individual history is made up of moments like that that some moments that sort of stick stick around in your head for for decades um even when it didn't happen even when it didn't happen yeah Um, and the next poem is stylite so um stylite um
1: it's got the subtitle saint simeon of aleppo in so the fifth century AD, 453, I've dated it. The word stylite comes from, uh, from the Greek stylos, which means a pillar or a column. And uh, he was also known as Simon Stylites or Stylites uh, or Simeon the Stylite. He lived from 390 to 459 and he was renowned for, he was a Syriac ascetic. And he was famous for living day and night on top of this column. Um, which was 15 meters high near Aleppo. And he he didn't come down. He lived lived on it for about 37 years, day and night. Um, And I read about him and I thought, this has to be a poem. So um, here it is, Stylite. My obelisk is my home. I need no other. For 30 years now, I've lived atop this pillar six square yards, crowded with my devotion. You come to gaze up at me from the footing 50 feet below, wonder at the limits of my endurance, ask each other how I can attend to daily necessities. There are other necessities, my friends, and there are ways. Far harsher, when the winds lash my supplications, or the rains drench my sacred bond, or the desert's tongue scorches my worthless flesh. But longing for the foul earth below has never flagged my spirit all these seasons. their 1100 nights that pass in exultant prayer. Nor will I descend before I touch the clouds at last with completed eyes.
0: So I have to confess that I misread this poem when I read it and that I thought that it was a poem about a statue on top of a pillar. And, not, well, not and that's how he looked, I suppose, to people, Yeah, uh, statue on
1: a pillar, because he didn't. He hardly moved, probably. He'd sit there praying and um, basically um, worshipping, worshipping the deity and practising the ascetic, his ascetic extreme
0: asceticism. Mm. I had all these, you know, wonderful questions about the history of objects, which now are not relevant because he was real and not an object. He <laughs> but, um, but was an objective reality. Actually. Yeah, An interesting story. I had not heard of, of this one.
1: Now, um, if, if you Google him um, or Google stylites, um, there's a, quite a bit of interesting uh, material there. He wasn't the only one, of course, yeah. it became a, a kind of a trend for a while.
0: It was a bit of a cult. Sort of, I suppose. Yeah. How did you come across his story? Um, don't remember, I just in my reading,
1: I guess. Yeah. 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 I, I come across a lot of ideas for poems in, in reading. I read a lot of history uh, and classics, antiquity, as well as lots of poetry and fiction. So mm. there's always a chance of discovering um, new ideas that work their ways
0: into poetry. Um, the next poem is uh, not about an object Washington Pilgrim
1: yeah Um, I'll tell you a bit about the poem after I've read it perhaps it's dated 9th of January 1999 not a snowfall in 42 years and now DC trudging the empty city Dissolved in fog like a faulty memory, and the senators convene to topple a president. Down Constitution, across the park, past the Botanic Gardens, the snows lie mounded, sidewalks slick as a spiral staircase, lashed with soapy water, the hill a meanness of white sketched with slivers of twig, the Capitol bubble a blank, deleted, indecipherable. Up Independence, toward the Library of Congress, its grand entrances cordoned off, the Supreme Court locked up, sleeping in. My camera collects it. The fog weighs and will not lighten. Yesterday, an amazing assembly of Lincolns gazed into the neat basement museum at Ford's Theatre. I browsed in reverence, quietly shot a nest of honest apes, etched into canvas and stone, You could virtually catch the first Johnson muttering from his once unassailable corner, proud still of his footnote following the bizarre events. A beggar directing traffic near 10th and E. It is very cold, sir. So I'd handed him a quarter. The snow remembers itself, a wind awakens. I shroud the cannon into my heavy coat. The camera bag, a weightless, bandolier, drag down the beanie, sidle into my gloves, tread against the clock towards 14th, where the Holocaust Museum trembles in sunless light, its inhabitants staring into the uncomprehending now, still waiting behind their stark installations, cold and resigned and long past nakedness, an occasional cab fanning snow spray into the gutter on this day of history and good intention well this is a poem which is actually almost completely autobiographical there's no invention here really it's totally from my experience um, in in Washington on that occasion in Jan, in January 99 so um, as I walked out it was a Saturday morning I recall and I, I left the hotel early with my camera and The streets were deserted. The whole place was just a landscape of snow. It was quite uncanny and surreal. I walked around this um, abandoned capital and took photos. Um, That was one morning. Um, The Supreme Court, I I went to see the Supreme Court. It was also sleeping in abandoned. Nothing was happening there. I I walked to the Capitol and uh, all around those streets. Um, It was an extraordinary experience. I I don't know whether, um, you know, it could have been replicated on another day. Um, So some of the other references, um, we we went to see uh, on another day, um, could have been that day. Actually, it was that day, I think. Uh, We went to see Ford's Theatre where Lincoln was shot. um, And um, in the basement, underneath the theatre, there is a museum with many different um, displays and um, pictures and busts and paintings and sculptures of Lincoln and documents. Um, And um, Andrew Johnson is also there. Andrew Johnson succeeded Lincoln. He was the first president to be impeached. Um, So when I mentioned that he's muttering from his once unassailable corner, um, actually he wasn't there. I said you could virtually catch the first Johnson. You see, I've convinced myself that he was there, but he wasn't as far as I can remember. He may have been in some, um, photo or document, but I'm imagining him um, looking on. Um, his corner was once unassailable. Uh, um, on one occasion, um, he was the only one who'd been um, who'd been impeached, and uh, and that was his special footnote in history. Um, and he was sort of proud of that, as I, I I create this fancy in my mind. Of course, I'm sure he wasn't proud of it. Um, but the whole thing is kind of a bizarre experience in a way. It was, it was diving into a kind of a subterranean uh, time capsule, where suddenly you're confronted with Lincoln and many manifestations, and every aspect of his presidency, his assassination. I also went upstairs and saw the very seat where he'd been shot by John Wilkes Booth uh, in 1865. Um, and then um, on a walk later on, um, walking around the streets of Washington, um went to the holocaust museum which is uh, we spent a few hours there which is an amazing uh, um place to visit you've got to spend you could spend days there just uh, absorbing it in absorbing and taking it in and uh, uh, exploring all the extraordinary exhibits there it's a very sad and, and um stark place in the way but it's 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 hugely informative and you know, it's something that um, visitors, um, a lot of visitors, go to see it. It's, it's quite an attraction in Washington because of its. Uh, it's also got a very good genealogical genealogical uh, tracing system for survivors and their families. So um, I could say more, but I think probably um, it's best to stop. The only other reference was. Um, Um, well the fog it it was also very foggy that morning in washington that that created that sense of the surreal as well
0: yeah and the significance of the date is that it was the time of clinton's impeachment
1: Uh, i I knew i meant to mention something else we actually went up um to uh both the house and the senate chambers into the galleries and we we looked down and watched saw the senate in session the senate was where um the procedure was supposed to be going on that day or over those days. It wasn't actually happening. There were people milling around, but it wasn't in session at that moment. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, we, we got a whiff of the atmosphere.
0: Mm. Well, this, this is the poem where I was thinking about history on multiple tracks, because you have as a backdrop an impeachment, which of course resonates with Johnson down below and resonates with what's been happening in the last few months. Um, so it has a kind That's of I chose it. longitudinal uh, historical resonance. Yes. Um, but then you've got the, the histories, the other histories being made at the same time, which is the histories of the bystanders and the observers and the history of the photographer who is himself in a sense recording history. Um, so uh, I, I saw this poem as having, you know, multiple tracks laid, laid into it. Um, uh, and uh, kind of an acknowledgment that, that this all going on all the time in, in multiple ways.
1: I think that's spot on, David, yeah. I think you put that very well. <clears throat> and it is that sort of poem that really brings home those ideas. Um, you know, if, even going down into Lincoln there, that's, that's um, moving into a different historical moment. Yeah. Time track again. Yeah, and Each of those episodes, yes, has a different setting and a, and a different resonance historically.
0: All right, well, we've, we've got to move on because we're going to run out of time. We've got two more poems. A Girl of Nagasaki is next.
1: Yes, it's 75 years since uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so I thought I'll, it was a good moment to, uh, to read this. I read it every now and then, particularly on anniversaries. 9th of August, 1945, A Girl of Nagasaki. It's in four parts. <clears throat> One. The moon is a wet cork. Rummage through your moon fresh morning dream with no dark yearning but preserved. Savour the clarity your rebirth frees. The moon is Japanese. Two, this sun must be God. My shadow stands frozen in the blizzard's beam and daylight deafens. I drink the black lightning of momentary trees The sun is on its knees. Three, the moon is a dry disk. Listen to the scrapings of a sun-spent gleam along the road of ash. Scratch with setting eyes the astronomy you feared. The moon has disappeared. Four, my soul is flapping in the Nagasaki breeze I ran through yesterday. A thousand years ago, my ancestors flying kites into the moon. I have no need of these. I listen, listen to the unforgetting moon. The moon is Japanese.
0: Yeah, powerful. Um, This poem is a melding of histories. Uh, The history of Japan, so the history of a country, the history of a city, the history of a girl, all in a day when an event happened that changed the course of history. Um, yes, it moves from morning to evening, essentially, if you, if you want to look at it that way too. Um,
1: yeah, and also... Way, way beyond, way beyond that.
0: Yeah, and, but it also... Uh, it also moves in an oblique way in the sense that it doesn't look at the event directly because, to me, looking at the event directly would be catastrophic you can't you can't you'd be blinded you'd be turned to ash so so it's almost a metaphor for the event itself um by looking at it in in this in, in this oblique way it's very powerful sort of um i suppose momentary pinpoint of that that moment in history um very timely 75 years on thank you and we finish with Mirror.
1: The Mirror is a prose poem. It comes from my collection of prose poems called Autographs. Um, this, this poem begins and ends with a quotation from the Koran. Each soul is the hostage of its own deeds, says the Koran. The city breathes in time with the music of myriad souls. They flock to the amphitheaters. They scatter from the rain when it lashes the metropolis. Assemble in shops and street palaces, repose in living rooms, observing their parcels of dreams. The clock grows dizzy, the season declines. Each day they collect their ransoms, paid by themselves into their private books. The scroll grows thick as it unwinds. It would be impossible to compute the sum on a single day of all the thoughts and deeds transacted in the city. An endless book is the city of myriad souls. It would be necessary at once to read each letter of every word on all the pages of this endless book in order truly to understand the city. Perhaps only children understand the city. They cradle their colorful balloons past window fronts full of words and inventions. They run along alleyways, blind to the glistening sky. They do not require anything of the sky. The sky, they understand, will always open above, but the city will vanish the moment they close their eyes. They will be given lullabies. They will unwrap their parcels of dreams. Their breath will trace an unransomed sleep to the music of an endless book. Meanwhile, as the amphitheatres and palaces grow dim, the rain will return. And who then among the city's myriad weeping souls will not envision tranquil gardens watered by running streams?
0: So in these poems that you've read today, we've had looking glasses, window glasses, silhouettes, mirrors, dreams, glimpses. Do you think it would be fair to say that there's something I and mean, we're all participants in history and we're all observers, but do you think it's fair to say that there's something voyeuristic in our relationship with history?
1: There has to be because um, the only way we can apprehend it is to look into it, yeah. I suppose. And, and then we can write about it. And as we write about it, um, we create frames for that history and we're looking through the window perhaps that's voyeuristic. perhaps we can't help doing
0: that and that's why we need alice through the looking glass <laughs> um so the poems that you've read that they're, they're an interrogation of history from different perspectives from from the watches and the watched from small private moments to mo- moments in the broad canvas of history and you finish this last poem very fittingly i think with a question um, is it fair to say that history in your eyes is not so much a matter of empirical empirical evidence, um, but a matter of questioning and interrogation?
1: It's a matter of questioning the empirical evidence as well. Uh, yes, interrogation is, is the key. Um, you need to have facts. You need to, um, be in contact with reality. Uh, Whatever that is, you you have a historical record, but then that's when the questions begin. Um, Who compiled the record? How do you interpret the record? Um, What possibilities lie beyond that record in the past, in the present? How do we learn for the future from the interrogation and the record?
0: Thank you very much, Alex, for your reading today and for your poems. That was wonderful.
1: Thank you, David. I appreciate um, the opportunity to um, to have been a part of this.
0: I'll look at my public and personal history in a new light now. Um, when this video is posted, it will include information on how to obtain copies of Alex's books, so please look out for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing your new book next year. Um, this is the last Poet's Corner for 2020. I'm going to have a little bit of a break. We'll be back in about February, end of February, 2021, with a new series of poets on no doubt fascinating themes. Thank you very much.